Welcome to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Each and every podcast, hosts Mike Niemer and Greg Frank will bring you energy experts to help you better understand the renewable and sustainability space. Education is important to us because it's important to you, the listener. Now here's Mike Niemer and Greg Frank. It is episode 184 of The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. My name is Greg Frank. We're going to be joined by our guest in just a minute as myself and eRenewable CEO Mike Niemer will bring another guest your way here on the podcast in just a few short minutes. But before we get to our guest, as we like to begin most of the podcast with, we hear from eRenewable COO Ann Niemer. Ann has a few words for us. Ann Niemer here, COO of eRenewable. If you are a wind, solar, or battery storage developer and you're looking to find an off-taker, our online live auction is a perfect platform to help you find that buyer. Conversely, if you're a CNI customer and you're looking to establish a PPA or VPPA, our auction platform could work for you. To learn more about how we can assist you with your power purchase agreement, visit us at eRenewable.com. And now, back to the Green Insider. And we welcome you into the Green Insider, powered by eRenewable, alongside Mike Niemer. My name is Greg Frank. Mike, always good to chat with you again. How are we doing today? Well, I'm doing well today, other than a scratchy throat. I just can't seem to, uh, every time I get a little bit sick since I've had COVID, you know, two years ago, it goes straight to my throat. Whatever it is, I start getting hoarse. So hopefully you guys can be patient and the listeners can be patient and I'll get through this podcast. Well, you're powering through. You know, I'm a sports guy, so it's kind of like being Cal Ripken, right? The Iron Man, just you keep going. <laughs> you just have to keep going. That's exactly right. And so I've got a story to tell you about Cal Ripken. Now, once the next time we're in the studio, my buddy was playing in front of Cal Ripken. My buddy got hurt and Cal Ripken came in and my buddy never saw the field again. So uh, I'll <laughs> tell you about that story later. Well, uh, we got plenty of stories to have our guest tell as he is Neil H. Smith, the CEO of Vanguard Renewables joining us today. Neil, good to chat with you. How are you? Pleasure to be here. So tell us a little bit about your background and uh, what drew you to the renewable space and uh, how long you've been with Vanguard. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a, a, an energy veteran. I spent about 25 years developing a, a small company from a startup to a global multi-billion dollar independent power producer that, that you know, had assets around the world and, and, and many plants around the world and retired uh, in 2016. And... Um, to make a long story short, I, you know, my, uh, my, I wanted to to look after my youngest child who I missed growing up because I was traveling around the world, my other job, and he promptly decided to go to boarding school. So, uh, so that kind of put me back in the job market and a small little company, not far from where I lived, um, you know, a headhunter gave me a call and it was, I spent, you know, 25 years building big power plants, polluting the world. And this was really a great opportunity for me to do something on the renewable side and good for the world. And I've, I've been thrilled uh, thrilled to do that for the last 18 months since I, I joined Vanguard. Yeah, what was that awakening like for you? I mean, tell us a little bit about how, when you dipped your toes into the renewable waters, what kind of things you started to learn? Yeah, you know, Intergen, the, the company I was with before, had a little bit of renewals. We were predominantly coal-fired generation, gas-fired generation. Um, so I, I knew knew about it tangentially, but it's been... Um, you know, it's been an amazing journey. Um, we are in the very early innings in the biomethane space, which is where Vanguard Renewables sits. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, it's amazing how much technology, uh, capital, 
and innovation is happening in this space. And, and that a chance to go back and start over again. I think one of the things I loved about my journey at Intergen was taking something that wasn't real and turning it into something big and, 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 and global. Uh, and I'm very much looking forward to repeating that journey here with, with Vanguard, hopefully not making the same mistakes along the way, but, but taking what was a small company of 40-ish people when I joined uh, we're now at about 200 to a, a, a national company with 100 to 150 digesters. And that's kind of the, the rocket ship that we're on and uh, very excited to be a part of it. Well, you know, Neil, uh, as you came from the power side, the dirty power side, so to speak, now you're on the clean side. Uh, I was oil and gas for 40 years and I decided to dip my toe into the renewable space. And I quickly learned that uh, the renewable market to the public is missing an education. That's why I started the Green Insider was to help educate the public. So I'm excited to have you on today because, you know, waste energy is an important topic because, you know, you hear all over the news how much food waste we have. And uh, just as one example, but I'm sure you'll go on to other additional waste that you use to create it in the energy. Um, it's an important topic. We're glad you're on and uh, I'm sure our listeners will get a lot out of it. So why don't you tell us about you already brought up the word digester, so uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us about that whole process and what do you use as your feedstocks and what's really your uh, sweet spot with regards to that? Yeah, listen, at the core of our mission and, and our business model is repurposing methane for good. And fundamentally, that's what we do. And we fundamentally do it in two different ways um, through the same technology. One is we, or we have two different feedstocks or fuels. Um, you know, we, we have a dairy business, which we call the ag business, where we take cow manure and we put that into anaerobic digester, which is like a big crock pot. We turn it up to 104 degrees and we cook it for, for 30 days and the methane boils off and we clean that up and then it becomes uh, productive, effectively natural gas or renewable natural gas. So that's one business is the, the manure side. The, the other side is the food waste side. And so we have two principal lines, manure digesters. Uh, and food waste digesters. And, and, you know, by doing this, we take the methane out of the atmosphere that's obviously way worse uh, than, than, than carbon uh, and repurpose that for good. Yeah. So, you know, speaking about the methane being worse than carbon itself, you know, I've heard like two different numbers. I've heard some people quote some scientists saying it's like 26 times worse and another group saying it's like 85 times worse. Do you have a real I flavor to what that number is? I have the same. I, I this is just an interesting part of how the renewable space is evolving. Is there are many ways to calculate things, and there are many flavors of this in different topics. Um, but a lot of the differentiation between whether it's twenty-five or eighty times has to do with the period of time that they're measuring it. So I think uh, if you got two scientists in the room, they would probably once they agreed on the same duration they would have a much tighter bandwidth of that 25 to 85 times, but it doesn't matter whether it's 25 or 85, it's way worse in the, in the very near short term. And the only thing we can do to buy ourselves time here for climate change to allow for other technology and other solutions to catch up is to address the methane. It's the best way to help us in the short term. And that's why our business model is, is relevant today. And, and I think will be relevant uh, in the future. And, and so I think that differential between 25 and 85 times is, is tied to duration of how they're, they're measuring it uh, and some of the technical details. But I think it, um, that debate misses the point, which is it's just way worse. And if we can find ways to slow methane down, then we can find ways to find other solutions to catch up 
on the more long duration problem with carbon. I just have a question from the administrative side of things for you. I see in your LinkedIn that uh, you are the uh, you're leading nationwide expansion from seven currently operating facilities in the Northeast uh, with more than 150 sites. So what's that like from an administrative side in terms of communicating with different people and trying to make sure that everybody is on the same page? Uh, it's quite challenging. We are hitting what I like to call exit velocity, right? We're going from, from seven to a hundred uh, and, and it has all of those hallmarks. And, and what attracted me to this role and this job is, is I had a chance to do that back at my prior company where we went from a startup to a big global business. Uh, uh, but we had a much longer duration to do that. We're doing this here in a very short period of time. Uh, you know, we, in, in the period of the great recession, we had 40, 50, uh, get great resignation. We had 40, 50 employees. We hired 150 people during the great resignation. Uh, so we've been growing rapidly. We've been adding people rapidly. We're adding systems. We're adding processes while trying to maintain that entrepreneurial spirit. So it's a, you know, we have the tiger by the tail, as I like to say, and it's it's not for the faint of heart. But what uh, I love about the business and what's attracted um, many of my colleagues to it is you know, we, we are a purpose-driven company with a mission to, to 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 save the planet and make money while doing so. And so it's, uh, you know, it's quite the challenge, but it's it's kind of a story that I've been through before, uh, just in a much longer horizon. And so I, I, I feel like I'm a little bit better equipped to handle that uh, than if I hadn't been through this cycle before. Um, in 18 months, you got 100 facilities now. You surely didn't develop all 100 facilities. You do, did you acquire them as other people were developing? So, yeah, just to re-anchor the facts, uh, we had about seven plants in New England and have had them for a while. And I, we refer to them you know, affectionately as our, our learning laboratory in New England. We, we then have been very aggressive in the last few years developing the, the ag side of the business with a company called Dominion, who is our partner. Uh, and we have put to, uh, we got about a billion dollars worth of assets in various stages of construction and commissioning. They're three in operation. So there's a very big ag business that's coming along. And meanwhile, we were developing the, the food waste or organics business. And the organics business is, um, we're about to have, we're on schedule to have about 10 starts of construction, new starts on the organics business this year. So we got about seven in operation in New England and on the organic side today. We got about 20 in various stages of construction and commissioning on the ag side, and then another 70 or so split between ag and organics in various stages of development. So it's, um, you know, we're, we're it's like the pig going through the snake right now. Yeah. Do you see the company uh, ever going to the municipalities to help them uh, turn their landfill into renewable natural gas at all? Do you ever see that play for you? Yeah. Um, it, 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 there are three big areas of renewable natural gas from a production standpoint, uh, manure, which we're heavily into, food waste, which we're heavily into, and then landfill re renewable natural gas. And that's a specialty area that um, I think we're going to leave to the, the large landfill owners. Um, I, we're, we're, we see better value, we see better margin, and we see better differentiation and competitive advantage for us on the ag and organic side. So probably not the landfill thing. And the, and the other thing is it doesn't fit as well with our mission. When we go out to sell our product, um, most of the forward leaning early adopters who are the people who are buying our, our renewable natural gas 
they don't want gas coming from landfills. That imagery doesn't fit with, um, you know, with 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 where they want to go. So I'm I, we're shying away from it from a number of reasons, but it's it's just not uh, it's not really where we think the value is going to be and, and where the market wants their gas to come from. Well, you know, as the circular economy continues to evolve and develop, you guys are contributing to that by what you're doing. So thank you. Hats off to you guys for that mission that you're on, because that, that is important. Why don't you walk us through and tell the listeners um, kind of the steps of what it takes to get from A to Z on a project where you're turning waste energy? Yeah. And and listen, our, 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 there are many business models, but ours is very farm centric. So we, we tend to develop our sites on farms. And so it, it starts by going out and finding farmers, be it with large dairy farms or small dairy farms. But we tend to do them on dairy farms uh, where we can use the cow manure um, to, to, to seed the digesters. But it starts with building farmer relations, signing options with farmers, uh, and then developing a relationship with them to create a partnership to build these plants. Then there's a very two you know two yearish cycle to permit and and develop these assets to put together the engineering drawings uh, to make sure the economics work to make sure in the case of the food waste facilities that there's going to be enough food waste to fill these plants at a price that makes sense uh, and then it takes us about a year twelve to fourteen months to build these and then another. Um, seven to eight months to kind of get those plants fully up to production. So the cycle from door to door can any, be anywhere from three to four years from kind of first idea to, 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 to for the plants being fully operational at full load. So it's quite a complex, it's one of the most complex little businesses I've seen. Um, and I think we're, we're, we're quite good at that space. Tell us a little bit more about nurturing those relationships with the farmers and trying to just make sure that, you know, it's something that makes sense for both you and them. Yeah, listen, it is a partnership and it's no different than um, building a power plant next to a Monsanto, you know, um, a chemical facility. They rely on that power. They rely on that steam from that power plant to, to run their operations. And if the power plant isn't there, it's a big, big problem. It's the same relationship with the farmers, regardless of whether it's an ag asset or an organics asset. We become an integral part of their operations. And so there's a lot of trust that needs to be built. Uh, there's a lot of information that needs to be exchanged. Um, there's an economic relationship that's mutually supportive. And it takes time. And, and the, you know, um, you know, it's not for all farmers, but but for most of the farmers that we've gotten to know, you know, um, you know, once they've kind of gotten up the learning curve on what it means. And some are, you know, some are more oriented to doing something like this because they went to college and they learned about anaerobic digestion and some are less oriented. So it's a different um, engagement process with each farm and each farmer and those families because they tend to be family run businesses. And so that that takes time. And, and just like any good relationship, it gets built, you know, one brick at a, one brick at a time. You know, I once heard that the uh, typical uh, renewable natural gas plant uh, produces about a thousand MMBTUs a day. What in your plants, what is kind of the sweet spot in the range of your production that actually comes out of the plants once it's fully completed and, and gentled right along? Yeah, no, that, 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 well, there are various sides. You know, I think the best way to say it is, um, the digester, the, the crock pot that you kind of put the stuff in and bake it for 30 days, 
they tend to come in some standard sizes. I like to think of it as medium, small, and large, or medium, small, and extra large. Um, and our standard plant uh, produces about 235,000 MMBTU a year. So it's a little bit less than 1,000 a day. And, and to do something like that on the you know, organic side, we need probably 225, 225 tons a day of food waste to keep that facility going. So we, we kind of choose the medium, small, and large size, depending upon the marketplace that we're in and how much food waste there is. And uh, but we tend to prefer, you know, the, the, the large to extra large sizes to get economies of scale and to make our product as affordable as possible, because at the end of the day, renewable natural gas, um, you know, sells at, you know, 3x, 5x, 7x what the cost of, of what I'll call non-renewable natural gas. And so trying to keep that price point as low as possible is very important. And, and the more economies of scale you can get. Uh, the better we can lower that price point. But each each facility is a little bit different, and it depends upon um, logistics and, and, and where the food waste is or the cow manure is in the case of our ag assets. I just wanted to know a little bit more about how you guys want to continue to grow. Is it a matter of nurturing more relationships with farmers, more ag projects, yeah. things like that? Or are there other areas of developing renewable natural gas that you guys think you can be efficient in? We have our hands full on the ag um, manures, mag slash manure and organic side, you know, and building out this portfolio of 100 to 150 plants in, in the next few years. There are a number of other things we can do with this business. Um, uh, you know, fertilizer, we create a very, um, um, you know, uh, low carbon, high nutrient rich fertilizer on the back end that we spread on the farmer's lands and, and maybe commercialize that. So there are a lot of other offshoots to the main business. But we're very focused on being the, you know, the first mover and capturing uh, the organics business here in the U.S. And and listen, we we are the industry leader. We we have 42 uh, tanks in construction right now around the U.S. with our partners. Um, and and so we're we're quietly the biggest person um, doing this in the U.S. and intend to have a a big national footprint in the next few years. And um, you know, speed to market is very important. And we're uh, we think we like to think we're well ahead of of everybody else, and so I'm saying focused on the the main part of the business and the main mission for the next 24 to 36 months is is is, is um, you know we can't get distracted by all the other interesting opportunities. Well, Neil, thank you for joining us on the show. I, I have one question left myself. When you referred to the price being three, five, seven x versus standard natural gas, the question I have is when the consumer here in the States sees natural gas spike, spike to 7 or $8. When the natural gas spikes, does the renewable natural gas price spike with it, or are they totally priced independent of each other based on the project? There's a loose relationship, okay? But at the end of the day, um, renewable natural gas, there's a very limited supply relative to demand. Um, and there is a small nascent emerging spot market for renewable natural gas and different flavors of renewable natural gas. Landfill gas sells cheaper than organics gas is kind of next. And then dairy gas is the most expensive. So, and they all, all have different uh, carbon intensity dimensions to them. So they're, they're much like any hobby or business or thing you get into when you start to unpeel the layer of renewable natural gas, you start to realize there are five different flavors 
our, our Baskin and Robbins, there are 31 flavors uh, of different kinds and different price points. But the market is largely very immature, um, is, is growing quite rapidly in size and scale and sophistication, but we are still very much in the early innings. And so that price point relative to regular natural gas, um, you got to know what flavor you're talking about, what the carbon intensity of it is um, to really kind of have a, a better conversation about it. And it is, it, is quite, um, it is quite complicated and confusing topic, almost as complicated, but not as complicated as carbon accounting, where it's a little bit of um, standards aren't clear and so there, there's there's a lot of learning happening in this space, and a lot so of confusion, we, quite frankly. So when we hear about this, what they call a CI score, that's that carbon intensity that you're referring to. Is that correct? And, and, yeah, and, and, and broadly speaking, landfill gas is 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 on the plus side, so which is bad. Like regular natural gas is plus eighty CI score. Um, landfill gas is probably plus ten, plus twenty, so it's better than than regular natural gas, but it's still not carbon neutral. Uh, organics gas is probably in the minus 40 to minus 100 range, depending upon where the food waste was coming from before and how it was being handled. And then dairy gas can be in the minus 200, 300 zone. So they're very different price points. And, and um, carbon accounting is something I, you know, I think you and your listeners would be super interested in hearing more about. But from my perspective, it is the wild, wild west in terms of how carbon accounting is done. Uh, there are multiple standards. There's, it's like when we had Betamax and VHS and five other things. There, it, it reminds me of that. There are multiple ways to look at it, and it's a very complex topic that that needs to get standardized over time. And it's just reflective of the nascent immaturity uh, of of the renewable natural gas space and the whole carbon intensity scoring metrics. And and our business is being supported by the early adopters. And those corporates uh, and utilities that are willing to lean out on the risk curve and say, I don't understand how all these other pieces are going to come together, but I know this is good for the world. And, and I'm committed to meeting my, you know, net zero or carbon neutral objectives. And, and those are the people who are funding the early innings of this business. Well, Neil, we want to appreciate you for uh, joining us. And uh, I got to say, I waited until the end, but I noticed you're based in the Boston area and I grew up in the Philly area. So I can't wish the Celtics good luck the rest of the way in the playoffs. I hope that by the time everybody listens to this, the Sixers have eliminated them, but we'll see. <laughs> well, I, 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 uh, I, I will tell you, I went to the one Super Bowl the Patriots went to that lost to the to the Eagles. So I I I can't I can't wish you well. Well, I hope that you, I hope that you buy some tickets to one of the games left in the series. Then maybe you're the bad luck charm for Boston sports. Okay. <laughs> Neil, thank you. Thanks, guys. All right, he's Neil Smith from Vanguard. For Mike Neimer, I am Greg Frank. This has been another edition of the Green Insider, powered by E Renewable. Make sure to get leave us a five star rating and subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcast from because as the saying goes you learn something new every day and we were responsible for today's lesson again he's mike neemer i'm greg frank everyone enjoy the rest of your days again this has been the green insider powered by you renewable